Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a special episode in store for you. My special guest is Brantley Milligan. And we did a fascinating episode on Brantley's pilgrimage to the Catholic Church. Brantley, give us a hop, skip, and jump testimony, just in case any listeners weren't with us for our previous episode how did you find yourself from a graduate of Wheaton College, or maybe even a little bit before Wheaton, to finding yourself a Catholic today? Yeah, thanks for having me back. Um, <clears throat> yeah, grew up as a Protestant. I was the fifth of six kids, uh, good family, uh, but went to Catholic school, first through 12th grade. Uh, it was just sort of a private school alternative that exposed me to Catholicism, got me thinking about it in high school. You know, what do I make of this? Like, do I need to uh, save people out of Catholicism? out of Catholicism, do I need to become Catholic? You know, how, how should I think about this? Um, went to Wheaton College, which uh, calls itself an evangelical college. It's in Wheaton, Illinois. Great school, had a great experience there. And I'd say for me, um, a main thing that led to me um, converting to Catholicism was a study of the early church, the early church fathers. Um, the early church, I mean, look, I'll just say it uh, anybody listening, they're clearly Catholic, clearly on all the weird stuff that you think is clearly late medieval made up Catholic stuff. Actually, it's all there in the like early church. So like uh, the, the, the reservation and veneration of relics, uh, like the bodies, like the bones of saints, literally they were doing this in the, in the second century. We know this, um, you know, the efficacy of the sacraments. Um, the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, apostolic succession, you know, the primacy of the papacy, um, even the, the Catholic uh, canon of Scripture. Um, I mean, all, all this is there. And so um, I, I became Catholic, something I, I didn't uh, touch on uh, last, uh, last time because we were going to talk about it here was the church's teaching on contraception also played a key role in that for me, an even bigger role uh, for my wife, uh, but really for both of us. Now, you have to be mistaken Brantley, because the reason we never hear about, for instance, the encyclical Humanae Vitae or the topic of contraception is everybody leaves the church because of it. So coming from Wheaton College, the alma mater of Billy Graham, that certainly couldn't have played a part in your being attracted to the Catholic faith, did it? I mean, are you putting me on here or is this is this for real? Right. I, I mean, I know exactly what you're saying, which is that people say, oh, it's one of these hard teachings of the church or there's that are really unpopular. And wouldn't it be better if, you know, we just don't talk about it because we're going to push all the modern people away or something like that? I mean, this is the mentality. Um, and uh, we uh, became Catholic in part because of it. In fact, I know many people actually like this. Um, and uh, you're talking I, about evangelicals. Yes. Uh, uh, adopting the basically Catholic moral theology and vision of married life. Yes. In fact, in my experience, it's usually women actually uh, uh, find this and it has a big impact on them. Uh, But I know men as well. I know multiple people I know personally who also were in some cases initially attracted to Catholicism because of that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, look, uh, so the way it came to me was so I was thinking about Catholicism. I had been for years. Uh, I was dating uh, this, this, uh, the, the woman who would become my wife, Krista, and she was not thinking about Catholicism. So she also grew up, 
you know, uh, actually, it's funny. She went to, a, just like me, went to a Methodist church, then a Baptist church um, growing up, went to Wheaton College, but didn't, but she went to public school. You know, she was, you know, went, you know rough. This is a, I, I kind of tease her about this. Um, but uh, she was not thinking about Catholicism at all. If, if she did, it was they're clearly wrong and we need to save them out. I mean, that's it. Didn't even give a second thought to it because it's so obvious, right? Um, and so we were dating um, and then we got engaged. And we actually got engaged our junior year with the plan of getting married the summer before our senior year and being married our senior year of college. Uh, just because we had been dating for a while in college, really loved each other and, and wanted to do it. And I will say, um, we, we didn't talk about uh, contraception. We weren't being sexually active. We weren't sleeping around. We, you know, we were following the, the Christian teaching on that. We were going to do that uh, when we were married. And um, so we weren't needing to use contraception or anything like that. So that hadn't come up. We had maybe talked about kids once, just like, oh, do you want to have kids? And, and we both agreed yes. But other than that, didn't talk about it. And I would say the, the assumption, the unspoken assumption for both of us was, of course, we would use contraception when we initially got married because you wouldn't want a child right away. Um, you, know, you got to have time for your relationship and everything. Yes, we do want kids at some point. In our minds, getting married and having kids were two separate decisions. They're right. two maybe kind of related, but mostly unrelated things. Like, like we just wanted to get married. That's what we were signing up for. We weren't, in our minds, signing up to have kids. Now, I disagree with this mentality now, but that, that's what our thinking was. And so, of course, we'd use contraception. So, and that was also played a big thing in our thinking of we'll, we'll get married um, the summer before our senior year because it's okay because we're not going to have kids right away. Like, we can still finish school and everything, right? So, we got engaged. And... Um, that was like in a spring semester of our junior year. And we got we ended up getting married, you know, just like five months later. And so we then discussed, well, hey, what kind of contraception are we going to use? Again, it was assumed we were going to, but it was just a practical thing. Like, well, we have to do something. I understand completely. And to my fault, as an evangelical pastor, I would do premarital counseling. And the question wasn't, whether or not to use contraception, it was simply, what type of contraception are you going to use in your marriage? And now, Correct. of course, when I I had to swallow that, and I think I did in front of my congregation, wasn't entirely popular before I left, but um, that's the question. And, and, you know, if you back up that question, and if you run into another human being who is asking those questions, it can change your life. Yes, um, so we were starting to kind of research that. And of course, no, we were um, pro-life, so we didn't want to do anything that was abortifacient. There's debate about different types of contraceptions, whether they are abortifacient or not. Okay, so there was that. So we ran into that issue in a practical way. And again, I, I want to emphasize, this was like not some esoteric thing of theology, blah, blah, blah. Like this was rubber meets the road right here, like in a few months. I think like literally, are we going to or not? Like, what are we going to actually do with huge consequences for our lives? So this is not some esoteric theology thing. This was as extreme as like, there is nothing more practical in the world than like having children or not. Right. It's like huge. Okay. So we were kind of reading uh, about the different contraceptions. And frankly, I kind of found myself like, really, like, this is what you like. This is what we would be doing. Like, again, I knew about it in the abstract. I'd learned about it, but like, like, we're actually going to do this. It's like, I don't want Chris to like taking chemicals, like, 
mess up her hormones. Like I was like, this seems kind of off, but there's got to be something we can work out. Um, and then I remembered, oh, yeah, I remember uh, the Catholics are against contraception. I never it never been explained to me why. I just knew that they were. At this point, I was not Catholic yet, but I had reached the stage of, I've heard someone else coin this term, another Catholic, uh, convert to Catholicism, the cat's principle. It's the Catholics aren't that stupid principle. So what this means is that most people first think Catholicism is obviously stupid. Like it's not even worth looking at. Okay. But then if you start to study Catholicism, usually you have this first step of, well, I don't believe it all, but actually this Catholicism is smarter than I thought. Like there's more, I don't necessarily buy all of it, but <laughs> exactly. there were better, they had better arguments for that than I thought. Like that's actually pretty reasonable. Um, and then, you know, the next step is then actually becoming Catholic. But I was in that middle stage. The Catholics are in that stupid principle. So I thought, well, you know, um, it, it might be worth reading. What do the Catholics have to say about contraception? And just because I respected Catholic opinion, even if I didn't agree with everything, and I somehow had heard of Humanae Vitae. I'd never read it, didn't know much about it, didn't know the history, you know, all the controversy and everything with it. But I said, hey, Krista, um, can, can we just both of us read this and discuss it? And um, she didn't care about it at all. Uh, but just to humor me, she's like, sure, fine, whatever, I'll just read this. We, we can do this. So we read it separately and then um, came back together to discuss it. And I'll say this. Okay, so for me, wow. Okay, it blew me away. It absolutely, it like rocked my world because I was like, you know, oh my gosh, like this makes a lot of sense. You know, and, and something that comes to my mind is in scripture, Jesus says, like, uh, my sh- my sheep recognize my voice. That's right. Okay. And there, there, there's a truth. Of course, this is true because it's Jesus. Um, but there's like a true principle about the world that sometimes it's like when you hear truth, it's like it hits you, rings true. You're like, whoa, like that sounds true, you know, and maybe you just didn't know it because you had literally never heard it before. I had never heard anybody ever in my life make an argument against contraception. Nobody ever. We just read this document and I was like, oh, my gosh, like that sound that's it totally makes sense. Um, but of course, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, like that means we shouldn't use contraception. We're, we keep, but we're already like planning the wedding. We've like invited people and like, what are we going to have a kid during our senior year? Like this makes no, you know, this would be in, totally impractical. And I was feeling, feeling that weight. But I was like, okay, let's go talk to Krista. Remember, she was not interested in Catholicism at all. And she she was rocked by it. She had never read a Catholic document before. And she said that literally just reading it once, she was like, oh, my gosh. Like she, she was like, I think this is true. In fact, she was more convinced than I was. She was like, yeah, that makes sense. And so we kind of were like, I was like, hold on. So we need to put the brakes on this. <laughs> and... Let's, we need to think about, like, again, this is such a, again, at, the, at least at the time, it seemed like such an insurmountably large, like, effect on our life and responsibility. Like, we're not going to use contraception. We could have children right away. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, I never had, a, like, a real job before. I didn't have a college degree yet. Okay. And uh, so I started studying it more. And, of course, I was interested in the whole history thing. So it's like, oh, great. Let's study the history of contraception and the Christian teaching on contraception. So a couple things I learned. Well, one, contraception is not, in pr- at least in principle, it's not a new thing. People, of course, have had the idea of, hey, can we have sex without the children? 
This is not an original impulse. This has been around for thousands of years. Ancient Romans had various things. I mean, people have been doing things for a long time. Okay. Yes, there's modern contraceptions that may be more effective or something, but it's it's the idea is not new. And I learned that um, the early church was against contraception. And by the way, they were also against abortion and also infanticide because uh, these things were all sort of they were linked together. They were pro-life. They were pro-life. In fact, one distinguishing thing was that they were against contraception. I mean, this is, right again, right there in the early church. And I, that, of course, had a lot of weight to me. Um, but if you keep following the story, an interesting thing, in the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, uh, the Protestant uh, leaders rejected a lot of traditional uh, Catholic theology. So, you know, all the things you know, the saints and and Mariology and uh, different sacramental theology and all these things like this, they didn't reject the teaching on contraception. Martin Luther and John Calvin both explicitly taught that this was wrong. By the way, we don't need to get into the biblical exegesis here, but a key story for them was the story of Onan in Genesis chapter 38 um, uh, for that. But many things. In fact, Martin Luther himself uh, got married and had like tons of kids. I can't remember the number right now. Um, they were very anti-contraception. So that was actually not even in dispute. And then you fall into the, um, the early 20th century. And um, everybody, all Protestant denominations uh, also taught that contraception was wrong. But you started to have some people in the United States to challenge this. And there was this lady, maybe you've heard of her, named Margaret Sanger. And she was concerned about um, two things. One, at that time, eugenics was a major thing in eugenics. Don't need to get into the whole history there, but was a racist movement. And she said, like, oh, the undesirable races are having too many kids. We need to find a way to stop this. There's also Malthusianism, like we're having too many people in general. But it was Malthusianism was also too many of the wrong types. OK. And obviously, eugenics had its height of, of evil in the world with the Nazis in Germany. But this was in the United States. This was everywhere. This was uh and this was mainstream in, in, in many circles. You had that. And she started something called the American Birth Control League, uh, which was later named Planned Parenthood. And at that time, it was not about abortion. It was about contraception. And she started. And at that time, there was also anti-contraception laws in the United States, by the way, passed by Protestants, passed in, in a Protestant country. And um, so it was like it wasn't like illegal to use contraception, but it was like illegal to disseminate contraception. Mm-hmm. And because it, it was Sell considered it, ship it. Yeah, it was considered obscene because uh, everyone was like, of course, this is obviously wrong. And she started pressing these laws and she like went to, you know, like intentionally go to jail, breaking them, things like this. And she started to press it. And then she explicitly, she wrote this, said as a rhetorical strategy, she said, I want to make use of the Protestant Catholic animus on this issue. So she, she's, even though Protestants were against it, she started talking about it as though it was a Catholic issue. And at that time, it was true that there were a number of Catholics who were pr- particularly good um, defenders of their traditional teaching, but really this had been for everybody. She started talking about it in that way as like a propaganda thing. Um, and then in 1930, there was the Lambeth Conference in 1930, which was uh, something in the Anglican Church, where they were the first Protestant denomination or any Christian group in history to allow the use of contraception under any circumstances. And they also, they only did it in narrow circumstances. They said, well, if you have really good reason not to have kids, and if for some reason you can't just abstain, which, you know, I don't know what that would be, but they, they said this, then maybe you could consider contraception. It was like this very, it was supposed to be like a narrow kind of practical thing. But 
that was it. This was there was this break in the traditional teaching. And here's the funny thing. The other main lines quickly kind of adopted this more rational approach. And in the 1930s and 40s, it was Catholics and evangelicals fighting together on this contraception issue. Very similar to like what happened with like gay marriage and things like this, right? Very, uh, so it was Catholics and evangelicals. And then what happened is just simply over the 30s and 40s and 50s, evangelicals kind of started to say, hey, maybe we can kind of accept it actually. It started to cave on it. So by the 1960s, when the pill came out in 1960, um, the Catholic Church was the really last remaining um, Christian group that was against it. So when Humanity Vitae came out in 1968, people were expecting it to be like, well, now the Catholic Church will be the last Christian group to finally get with the times. Um, but of course, Pope Paul VI didn't. He reaffirmed it. But he was simply reaffirming just what all Christians, including Protestants until recently, also taught. That was it. Exactly. You know, when um, I also was greatly influenced by the Catholic Church's teaching as an evangelical pro-life leader, because I came to see that the first step in the anti-life mentality is contraception. And as, as contraception spread through our country and around the world, abortion was the follow-up, not the precursor. So I came to see that this is the key pro-life issue and when I started considering Catholicism, you know, all the big deal about Matthew 16 is Peter the Rock. It was very easy for me because I saw the popes standing up on the rock for marriage and life in the 20th century. It was clear to me that this isn't just history about the papacy, but it was working under incredible pressure to stand up for truth. And that's what it was the easiest thing in the world for me to believe in the papacy because it was being demonstrated to me in this whole, everybody else was caving worldwide. Yes, and in fact, um, some, especially if you study the, the story around Humanity Vitae and how many people were, you know, were pressuring Pope Paul VI to cave on it and blah, blah, blah. Um, it really does feel like a miracle that he didn't. I know. Praise the Lord. And look, Pope Paul VI, I know he's a saint now, look, he wasn't perfect in everything. But he nailed it on Humanity Vitae, and um, that alone is actually a very strong, like you were just saying, a very strong argument for the real, for the truth of the papacy, that literally when the whole world abandoned this thing, this core truth that's core to human, I mean, contraception is an attack at the core of literally civilization. Civilization is men and women coming together and having children, and contraception is an attack right at that with dramatic consequences. And Pope Paul VI stood firm on that, really singularly in the world. Um, praise the Lord for that. And decades later, these two evangelicals, you know, who are wanting to get married, stumble on a document that he wrote decades before that, you know, he's long dead, everything. And the impact it had on our life is huge. Like, praise the Lord. Pope Paul VI, thank you for writing that. Because, like, our life is so different as a result of that. Like, do you understand? Like, the, the ripple effects ongoing are huge. And anyway, so, so I was reading this history and I was like, look, in my mind, given, you know, the, the principles that I had, there was no way I could possibly argue 
if I again, if I wanted to be a serious Christian, that somehow contraception is okay. I mean, there's to me the, the arguments are airtight. The natural law argument, the biblical argument, actually I think is stronger than people think, and the historical you know argument from you know from that tradition airtight, and um, so I had to accept that. And I actually remember talking to Krista about it, and I said, okay, Krista, can we just use contraception for the first six months? Because that way we'll ensure we don't have a child while we're still in school. The weasel way to adopt Humana ABT. And then I said, I said this, and I said, but then we'll never use it again. Okay. And she said, you know, of course, she was like, Brantley, that's stupid. Like, if it's wrong, it's wrong. Like, that's right. Then if it's wrong, you can't ever use it. But if it's okay, then we could use it whenever we want. Like, it doesn't, like, and we know it's wrong. And I, of course, was like, yes, you're right. And so we agreed, okay, we're not going to use contraception. Um, interesting thing at that time, I did not know of another person that like I knew of who was against contraception. Like maybe there were, they, they were around me. I didn't know. I wasn't talking about contraception with people, obviously. I mean, it's not like a topic of conversation, but I just wasn't aware of anybody. I never spoken to another soul about it. It was just me and her reading this thing and discussing it. So I was like, I need to like talk to people. I need to like, are there people living this? What does this even look like? I have no examples to me whatsoever. And um, I heard that there was this professor on campus who had like, at the time, I think six kids or something. I was like, that's a lot. I maybe, I was like, I, I reached out to him and I and they were Protestants. You know, he was teaching at Wheaton College. I found out that they had also kind of converted on the contraception issue, reading Catholic sources. They, they, they shared uh, their story with us and... Um, that was so impactful because it was like, here's some other people living it out. And I could literally go to their house and be like, oh, they have a bunch of kids. What is this like? Now, I mentioned I grew up uh, one of six kids, but I, I was the fifth. I was kind of towards the end. And a lot of my older siblings kind of left. And and um, it just was nice to see another example of that. That had a huge impact on our lives. Uh, Reed and Rachel Shushart, the Shusharts, if you're listening, probably not, but you know this, you had a huge impact on my life. And um, so that was a very big thing for us. Now, um, we were still set to get married uh, August, you know, right before our senior year. And it was really hard to kind of take that back. Um, so we were still going forward with that. I, I remember um, I felt a lot of pressure as the man of like, okay, well, if let's say we do have children right away. Like it's going to be my responsibility to take care of not only myself, out of college, which I had never taken care of myself, like outside of an educational uh, you know, situation, not only for myself, but also Krista and potentially a baby. And I felt a lot of weight because I just never done it before. I remember Krista was very uh, wonderful. She had total confidence. Like she had no hesitation whatsoever. And she was like, I know you can do it. I'm not concerned. Like she, to her, she was not concerned about like, oh, will we figure out how to live? She's like, oh, I know you're smart. You can do it. I remember that gave me a lot of strength as a man of like, well, maybe I can do it. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, praise the Lord. We got married August 2009. And about um, a month later or so, we had conceived a child. Again, you know, you, know, you don't know until you try. And we did. Praise the Lord. Amazing thing. At that time, of course, we were thinking about Catholicism. And so for my wife, she was not thinking about it at all. This made her like, like, whoa, if Catholics are right about this, what else are they right about? Okay. And so we both agreed, well, let's just join our CIA in the local parish. We weren't ready to join the church yet, but 
if we are by next spring, then we'll be ready to do it. And it was actually the the day of the first day of RCIA in that September that she had the positive pregnancy test. Um, we're like, wow, okay. And then she, um, you know, was increasingly pregnant all through our senior year, and we both did our school. There was no problem. And uh, then in April of 2010, um, we joined the church uh, at a Easter vigil. And then on May 9th, we um, graduated. And on May 21st, our first child was born, Elijah Francis Milligan. Excellent. Praise the Lord. Excellent. Now, folks listening to you, both Protestant and Catholic listening to this broadcast, may be just like you and never heard another person talking about this or living this. We say humane vitae. Trans, spell, just start with spelling that for somebody who's never heard of this before. And then where do they find this? Yeah, I mean, obviously you can Google it. And it's just, it's like human, uh, H-U-M-A-N, and then A-E, these are Latin terms, and then vitae, uh, V-I-T-A-E. Google it, you can find it. Um, and uh, I've, that's just one document of the church reaffirming its teaching. Of course, there's documents before that. There's things after that. Uh, But that's what really had a big impact on us. Um, And then, praise the Lord, uh, we've kept on having children and and, uh, just about every two, two and a half years or so. We have six kids right now, and our seventh is actually due in the next couple of weeks. Congratulations. Praise the Lord. And our life is wonderful. Everyone was like, you're going to be poor. It's going to be too hard, blah, blah, blah. None of that was okay. So first of all, actually, we were poor starting off, Um, but everything was fine and God took care of us. And we've been so happy and so blessed. And we can't imagine possibly um, having a different life. And we, we feel like we dodged this bullet by God's grace. That's how we feel. Yeah. And, you know, a point you made that this is there's nothing more fundamental for civilization this gets right down to, and not just the little abortion debate terms, pro-life or anti-life or whatever, pro-abortion, but this is the core. It changed your whole worldview concerning yes. married life. And thank you, Catholic Church, for preserving that. We're too, I don't call myself a former evangelical. I think you probably call yourself an evangelical Catholic as well. But uh, thanks to the teaching of the papacy, we have a truth for family life that uh, is going to make a big difference going into the future. Thank you, Brantley, for being with us. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.